Today, I want to share a message with you, um, sort of inspired by Veterans Day. This is not a message about veterans or anything like that, but but we're going to be reading from 2 Timothy chapter 2, and the message today is entitled, The Unknown Soldier. I want to read, I want you to read with me uh, from 2 Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. This is what it says. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses in trust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving a soldier gets entangled as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all of this. Remember Jesus Christ, saved, or excuse me, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel for which I am suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. So now let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I just pray, Lord God, that you would, in these next few moments, that your spirit would bear witness with our spirits. And Lord, I pray that this word, though it may be simple, I pray that it would go deep in our hearts and that, Lord God, it would bring profit to our souls, that we would grow as a result of hearing from your voice today. Lord, do whatever you want to do in us. I'm believing you for this, despite any weakness and frailty in myself, because I know that you have constantly in the past used broken vessels to bring glory to the, to the name of Jesus. So I pray you would do that today. In the strong name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Can anyone here tell me the name of the captain of the third company to land in Normandy on D-Day? Anybody? Let me see your hand. If you can name that person. No, no, no one. Okay, let me try again. Does anyone here know the name of the second lieutenant who died on the second day of battle at the Battle of Waterloo in the British Army? Let me see your hand if you can name that, that, that person. No, no hands. Okay, let me, let's try this one. I, I would like for anybody who can tell me who was the wing commander of the, in the Royal Air Force of the first wave of planes to take off in the Battle of Britain in 1939, would you raise your hand in this place? Not a one. My friends, I'm here to tell you, I don't know those names either. I don't know the names of any of those soldiers. I don't know the names of any of those people. I can't honestly name for you uh, uh, any more than just maybe a handful of famous soldiers in all of human his history. And yet behind those great military minds like Alexander the Great, there marched multiplied thousands, multiplied millions really, in the, in the Allied armies of World War II, there were several million troops combined. And, and everyone here has heard of the, of the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. You've all heard of that, right? In Washington, D.C., we all know that. It's a famous. But the fact of the matter is, when you really begin to think about it, almost all soldiers are unknown. That's the reality of it. Soldiering, except for those few generals, the few brilliant leaders that loom large on the sta stage of human history, except for that handful, soldiering is pretty much mundane and anonymous. It's pretty much the, the common, ordinary soldier, you know, the one who sleeps in the mud and wakes up damp and wet and tired and marches all day and fights at night and eats cold sea rations and then gets up the next day and does it again and then does it again and does it again and again and again. He doesn't get paid a general's uh, salary and he never gets the general's headlines. But he's the one who gets wounded and feels lonely and, and he isn't there because he particularly wants to be there. He's the unknown soldier. Not, not just the body that's buried in the tomb in Virginia, but the soldier who simply does what, he, what has to be done who simply does what he's told to do. And as I read 2 Timothy chapter 2, I, I'm struck with the military language of that, of that passage, particularly in the place where it says, and now, my son, be a good soldier for Jesus Christ. 
Now, we know that Paul the Apostle was writing to Timothy, but who was Timothy? Timothy was just another preacher. He was just another servant of Christ. Therefore, you can, in that place, insert your own name instead of Timothy. So you can say, and, and now my, my son Sam, or now my son Ernie, or my, now my son Chuck, or now my son Justin, or you can, it's, you, you don't even have to uh, be a son. You can say, and now my, my, my daughter Mary Beth. You can put your name in there. It says, be a good soldier. Put your own name in there. And that makes it a word for, from God for us. But, but what does that mean exactly? What can we learn about soldiering in the army of God? Because here's the thing. The army of God is different th than any other army in the world. Our weaponry is different. Our tactics are different. Our goals are different. Our concepts are different. Our worldview is different. Our enemy is different. Our general is different. Our marching orders are different. However, there are still some things that we can learn from this passage about soldiering in the army of God. And the first thing is found in the very first two verses, verses one and two said, you then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And here's the part, pay attention to this. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. The principle of leadership by influence does not vary from one army to the next. It's a principle that stays in place all throughout human history. It may be the most evil army in the world, or it may be the righteous army of the children of God, but the principle of leadership by influence does not vary at all. Paul says in this place, those things which you've seen in my life, those things which you've you've heard me teach, you, the, the things that you've heard me say, the things you've heard me talk about, those things which I've demonstrated with the way that I live my life, he says, now you live these things out. Now you teach them. Now you communicate them in the way you live, in the way you think and talk and act, in the way you respond to things. Now you live these things out so that those who are following after you can live it out in front of other people. So that the general influences the colonel and the colonel, the major, the major, the captain, the captain, the lieutenants, the lieutenants, the sergeants, the sergeants, the corporals, the corporals, the privates. And, and so that there's this downward influence down the line. But, but then here's what we need to understand. Even the, the private, even the, the, the one man in the foxhole, the, the PFC who has no more priority than any other man in the foxhole, even he has a sense of leadership by his own influence. Paul says, and you, soldier, unknown, unsung, inglorious, your name might not ever be in the lights. You may never publish a book or be famous or, or any other thing like that. But he says, you are a leader. You are a leader. Now, we're not all going to be Billy Graham here. In fact, there was only one Billy Graham. So none of us, we can say, none of us are going to be Billy Graham here. But the thing is, every one of us has a place of leadership by influence in the body of Christ, and we're expected to fulfill it. This is what we, we miss oftentimes. We think about leadership and we think about positions, but that's not what leadership is. Leadership in its very essence is influence. And the reality is every one of us has influence in one way or another with someone else. Therefore, we are all leaders. You know, when General George Patton took over the troops in North Africa, he found a completely de demoralized and, and defeated army. The, you may have heard of the Battle of Kasserine Pass, and it had been a terrible disaster. The, the, the battle was the first big engagement between the American and German forces in World War II after America finally entered the war, and, and, the, and the inexperienced and poorly led American troops suffered heavy casualties, and they were quickly pushed back over 50 miles. And so that the American army had been defeated and demoralized and put on the run and Patton came in and for all his weaknesses, for all of his issues, he understood how to rally troops and to enforce leadership and discipline. And one of the first things he did seemed so odd to us because he went into the mess hall and in there, uh, it, it, that's where, you know, that's where all the cooks are in there all preparing the food. And he looked at all the cooks and he told them all to put their ties on. This seems so odd to us, you know. He said, he said, told him, he said, I will personally court-martial the next cook that I find without a tie on. 
He said, either fight or wear a tie. And he made all non-combatant personnel put their ties on. Now, why did he do that? Well, he did it because it changed the self-image of the soldiers. It changed the image of the army. They began to see themselves as being men of dignity. They began to see themselves as an army that had the capacity to win. He began to transform the self-image of his army from the least soldier to the greatest officer in his army. Now, the question is, did it work? Did it have any impact? Well, let's go forward in time to the Korean War. There was a colonel there who was the battalion commander of a tank corps who had served. He had served under General Patton in, in North Africa. This colonel learned a lot by watching General Patton. And he became concerned over the number of head injuries that tank crews were having when the tank became immobilized. What was happening is the tank would get hit and it couldn't move and it was completely immobilized. And then the soldiers would begin to to, to open up the turret and, and crawl out and the enemy would wait for them to crawl out and he would, they would shoot them in the head as they, as they poked their head out of the tank. So the colonel was so concerned about this, all these head injuries that he began to walk through the battlefield and he started finding every soldier anywhere that, that he found climbing out of a disabled tank without his helmet on. He would just find him right on the spot, make him pay his money right out of his pocket and find him right there on the battlefield. Well, you know what? By the end of the Korean War, that battalion had fewer head injuries than any other tank battalion in the history of the entire war because that man inspired confidence. Furthermore, at the height of winter on days that were so cold that the soldiers could hardly stand the freezing temperatures, they were wearing their overcoats inside their tents, inside their sleeping bags, trying to stay warm at night. This man would go down to the frozen rivers of, of, of Korea and bathe in the river every morning because he said only a clean soldier is a good soldier. Well, gradually as he did that, he didn't make anyone else do that, but the other officers gradually began to go and bathe in, the, in that cold river, even in the wintertime in, in Korea, because they sensed the dignity and the leadership and the authority of that battalion commander. So from Patton to that colonel, to the majors, to the captains, to the lieutenants, there is this principle of leadership by influence. Professionalism breeds professionalism. Leadership breeds leadership. Dignity breeds dignity. Balance, authority, and maturity, and holiness all lead to the same in the troops. And, and, to, and to apply that to us, you, you, your sense of personal leadership in the body of Christ, who you are, how you live, uh, how you conduct your business, how you act on the job, how you fulfill your, your contracts, how you treat your employees or how you treat your employer, how you act in your house, how you speak, how you talk, how you live. It's all of huge significance. It's easy for us to say how I live or what I do doesn't really matter. I'm a nobody, but that's just not true in the body of Christ. It has huge significance. You know why it has huge significance? It has huge significance because somebody is watching you. Somebody is paying attention. Somebody is listening. And their life's decisions may be based on your leadership in this thing we call the army of God. So you're not just a follower. Every single one of us follows somebody, but also leads somebody else. Because every one of us has influence in at least one person's life. It may be your children. It may be children that you serve, uh, other people's children in this church. It may be a friend that you have. It, it may be a, uh, somebody else, a fellow member of the church. I don't know who it is, but I do know this. You lead somebody. You are leading somebody. The question we, the question we have to ask is, where am I leading them? Because you are leading them somewhere. You know, over the years, I've had a privilege of meeting a lot of different people. Some of them, some of them are well known, uh, at least in, you know, in, in various circles. But when I do meet people that are well known, one of the things I do to gain some discernment about them is, is that I, I don't necessarily look at that person or how they act because they can put on a good front. You know what I'm saying? But I look at the people around them. And I look at how they act. And one of my favorite people in the world, my, in the world that I've ever met is an, an, just an incredible, incredible man. His name is Hal Donaldson. Most of you probably don't know that name, but some of you may. But he was the founder 
and president of Convoy of Hope. And if you don't know about Convoy of Hope, it's this unbelievable ministry that anytime there's a disaster in the world, they're usually the first ones there to serve the community and to serve the people, to help them. They bring groceries and food and water and supplies and all these kind of things. We had a, you know, we had a, what they called a thousand year flood in Georgetown when we were there. And I contacted the people at Convoy of Hope and they, they sent a semi truck load of water down there and we were able to distribute it to people because all the water, all the wells out in the outlying community got, got contaminated. And so we were, they were worked with them. Uh, Convoy of Hope, uh, last time I checked, I don't know how, what the number is, but last time I knew, uh, I don't know if you know anything about Haiti. Haiti is the poorest nation in the Western Hemisphere, by far the poorest nation. And the last time I knew, they were feeding and, and providing education for over 25,000 children every single day. This is wonderful ministry, powerful all over the place. Hal Donaldson, when I, when I met him, I, I would put him in the category of a great man. I would say he's a great man. Yet I'm here to tell you that when I met him, he also may be the most humble man I have ever met in my life. He's just so precious and down to earth. And when I look at the people around Hal, one of the things I see is I see people who are genuine, people who are very down to earth. And when, when Hal Donaldson walks into the room with, the, with his team at Convoy of Hope, nobody bows before him. Nobody hushes up and acts differently. There's no showmanship or flamboyance. They're real because Hal is real. And they, they've learned to be servants because Hal has led them as a servant. And, and, and my dream and vision is that the leadership style of Jesus, of, of genuine love and unfeigned faith would trickle down through the whole body of Christ and that we would begin to provoke each other to good works. But here's the problem with that. Uh, we all can't see Jesus. Isn't that right? But I can see you. I can see you. Other people can see you. you. You talk about, you may not ever thought about this, but you may not think about leading the pastor, but I want you to know, I'm, I'm watching you. And as I'm watching you, I'm learning from you how to be a Christian every day. I, I look at you. I, there, you. I gain from you from watching your life. And every now and again, I, I can tell you this happens uh, way more often than I would like. But every now and then, you know, when, it, when I get up here on a Sunday morning and the sermon is just crashing and burning and I just feel it spiraling downward. I'm telling you, sometimes you get up here and you preach and it feels like it rose off the pulpit and lands on the communion table and just lays there and dies a slow death. That's how it feels sometimes, you know. Um, and when, I, when that, every, every preacher has those days, those, those Sundays, and uh, I call it the Von Hindenburg syndrome, uh, where they, they burn before they crash, you know. It's just, it's on its way down. But when I begin to feel that a sermon is doing that and, and you know, the some days you, by the way, I have learned a, a long time ago, to not go by that feeling because the, the de- Sundays when I, when I feel like, man, this is, this is terrible. This is going awful. Then afterwards, somebody will come up and say, Pastor, I want you to know that really changed my life. And I'm like, really? You know, that's, I don't say that, but to the inside, I'm thinking, how in the world? That must be God, you know? And then other times I get up here and everything just flows and I'm like, and I'm like, man, this is an incredible day. And everybody walks out saying, you know, like yawning. It's like, well, that was just another day or whatever. But, but, but here's the thing, when I begin in a service, when I begin to feel that the sermon is just crashing and burning and things are going well, I want you to know there are certain people, and I'm not going to say any names in this place, but there are certain people in this congregation that I tend to look at you. I look in your direction because but when I, when I do, I, I can actually sense encouragement coming from you to me. That's leadership. You're leading me. You're helping. You're, you, when you do that, you're saying, come on, pastor. I know you got a better sermon than that. Now give it to us. You know, and, you know, they're saying, come on, pastor Dave, preach the word. And, and it's, 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 I feel that encouragement. And with that encouragement, you're influencing me. You're helping me. You're leading me. Come on. <laughs> hey, somebody's taking it serious back there. I feel that encouragement. So we have that principle of leadership by influence and we need to understand your life matters, how you live matters, how you talk matters, the way you treat other people matters because it's all about your influence on the lives of other people. 
You can either be leading them toward Jesus or you can be repelling them away from him. The second, second thing we can learn about the army of God is that the soldier of God is the obedient soldier. Sometimes we suffer. Paul, Paul said that. Sometimes we endure hardship. Paul says that in this passage. But we are always called to obedience. You know, there's a uh, fascinating, really a tragic chapter in the North America, excuse me, North Africa campaign of World War II. There was no North American campaign. But uh, there was a mechanized column that had been ordered to maintain radio silence. The radio operators and the various units in the mechanized uh, 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 column it just, just ignored that order. They began radioing, radioing one another back and forth along the column, the first truck, you know, back to the last tank, and then the first armored car, back to the to a half track, and they just carried on these casual conversations back and forth of what had, had anything to do about, about the mission whatsoever. But Rommel's troops, General Rommel's troops, picked up on the radio broadcast, and not because of military strategy, but because of the disobedience of about a half dozen radio operators, the entire column was destroyed. Every man, every vehicle, an entire mechanized column was wiped out, obliterated, because six or eight guys couldn't keep their mouths shut. They just would not obey. They just they they, they, they wouldn't just ride in with the convoy. They wouldn't just get to the destination and carry out their mission. They wanted to chat back and forth, gossiping, I suspect, about really profound things like girls and chewing tobacco, you know, and hundreds of men died as a, a, a miserable death in a lonely desert as a result of that. But you know what? Not in the army of God. Not in the army of God. The army of God is about soldiers who hear the word of their God and they obey. Who, who want to do what God wants them to do, who have the desire to do what he's calling them to do. They desire to obey because they're submitted to a greater whole. They, they know that they're part of something that is bigger than the sum of the parts. See, we're, we're talking about the transcendent body of Christ the, the church here below and the church in heaven above. We're talking about a thing that is bigger than we can even begin to imagine that we're part of. If you added up all the people of the, in the church who have ever lived in the past and all the people in the church who live in the world now and all the people in, in the world uh, uh, that are in the church that who will ever live that are going to be part of the body of Christ and you totaled all of those people up, I want you to know it's still even bigger than that. Because it, it, we're talking about something that is bigger than the sum total of its parts. We're part, we're about a world vision to transform the world, to expand the kingdom, to win the lost, to evangelize the, the world. We're about something bigger and grander than anything that we, that we can see here locally or individual. And, and it's so exciting when we catch a sense of that common cause. The, the common soldier carrying his rifle in World War II and tramping in the mud across France, he had to have a sense that it's not just about him putting his right foot in front of his left foot, but, but that he was part of an army, that he was part of a global conflict. We're going to turn back Hitler. We're going to win this great war. The armies of, of this world understand that. In fact, during World War II, you probably have seen some of these things. There was a whole series of films produced that were called Why We Fight. They were there to explain to the common soldier what the war was all about. This war is not about you getting shot. This war is about something that is big. This is about Hitler. This is about Europe. This is about global conflict. This is about conquest and victory and liberty and truth. And the soldiers needed to know those things. And that's the reason I want to say to you today, again, that my dream is, is not that somehow or another you all catch the vision that I have and bring it to pass. My dream is that God will give us all a common vision and that it will be a vision that is bigger and grander and more magnificent than anything we could do on our own. Something so huge, so mighty that, that in the light of that, we would each receive our own individual ministries and we would each play our part in that. You see, I, I'm praying that God will show you what your ministry is. I, I'm not asking you to make my dreams come true. I want to make your dreams of ministry come true. I don't, I don't want you to make me successful in ministry. I'm here to teach you how to do ministry. This, this sense of passion for a 
Grander conflict is so crucial. It reminds me of a story of a, a little boys basketball team from the little tiny town in Kentucky. They had 19 boys in the entire student body. Little tiny school, country school. And there were only six boys on the team, on the basketball team. And those six boys in that team won a championship game in which they played against a very large school with thousands of students. And those, those, little, those boys from that little school just demolished that team from the large school. They just, I mean, tore them limb from limb. When the game was over, there was a television interview with the coach from the small school. You just picture this in your mind. He stood there with a wad of chewing tobacco in his mouth, just country, you know, guy, and pot-bellied, wearing a blue windbreaker with the name of the school on it. The television camera was on him. And the reporter said, Coach, what do you think is the secret to your victory here today? And he looked at him as only an old country coach could do. And he said, Dizarre. <laughs> Dizarre. You know, for, for a man with a limit of vocabulary, he had made a good po great point. Desire. If you can't figure out, that was, that was my... Yeah. Now you know, now you can hear it when I say it. See, Dizarre. Yeah, you hear it now? You can hear it now. So, so I love country folk. But, uh, but desire is at the heart of this thing, to have a passion for the victory of God. And in addition to that, we're not only soldiers that are committed to obedience, we're not only soldiers committed to a great cause, but we are soldiers who concentrate on doing our part. That is to say that if, if I get my eyes on the greater cause, as, a, as an individual and say, I've got the, we've got this great cause in front of us. And then I forget the fact that I'm supposed to run this machine gun. We may lose because I'm not doing my job. There, there are things that I'm supposed to do my own personal ministry. I, I heard the story of a coach who, who heard a preacher preach a series of messages on, on about soul winning and these messages, um, uh, they, they, they really began to impact his life and he began having a, uh, he, he took it seriously and he began having a prayer with some of the boys on his, on his football team before the game. And then, and then, then, uh, after a little bit of time, several of the other boys on the team by the, again, by the leadership and influence principle, they, they came and said, well, we, we want, we want to come. We, we want in on this. We want to be on this. And then after a while, then some others came in. We want to come and be in on it. And until gradually there, there got to be so many that, that at halftime, what he would do, he would allow at halftime for the, uh, the, the team to go into the locker room if they wanted to, but anyone who wanted to meet him for prayer could go down to the end zone at halftime and he would pray with them. Well, pretty soon the whole team was at the end zone. So he said, all right, those of you who don't want to go to, to the prayer meeting, you can go to the end zone and hang out and we're going to go to the locker room and, and we're going to pray in there. And, and, and the whole locker room just filled up with boys for prayer. And when he was telling the story, he said, I, I never preached to them. He said, I, I never told them about the gospel. He said, we would just go in at halftime in prayer. He said, we could hear the other coach through the wall, yelling and screaming and cussing his boys out and kicking the water uh, a bucket. And, and those boys would hear that be all wide open. Uh, uh, eyes would be open wide. And, 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 but he'd just look at them and say, boys, God loves you. Let's kneel down here and pray. Well, just a few weeks into the season, one boy got, got up and he came over to him and he said, coach, I want the Lord in my life. And gradually one or another of them began to come to him and get saved. He, he said that at one game, listen to this. He said at one guy, game, he led three boys to, on his football team to Christ at halftime. At halftime. In the middle of the prayer meeting, they just got up and said, coach, we're not saved. We want to get saved. How, what do we do here? And, and, and listen, this is just one man who did what he, what he could do, who, who, who understood his calling and said, this is what God is calling me to do. And he did what he did his part and he started making a difference. And we have people like that all over the place. We have people like precious, our precious faithful Sunday school teachers like Miss Nett and Miss Linda and people like that who, who are faithfully giving their lives and they have done it for years 
to loving children and telling them about Jesus. And I'm here to tell you, there are people serving Jesus today because of their faithfulness and because of the faithfulness of people like them in this church and in this body. Listen, you're not going to win the whole world. You're not going to do the whole thing yourself. But you have to do what you're supposed to do. Concentrate on the job that you can do right now. And and listen, don't get caught up in this thing. There's so many of us, listen, I believe in spiritual gifts and I think they're really important. And people take their tests and try to figure out what their spiritual gifts are. But unfortunately, what happens is often that becomes an excuse not to do what needs to be done. Because all of a sudden you have something that needs to be done and you need somebody who's willing to serve. And they say, oh, well, that's not my gift. I I don't have the gift of serving, so I'm not going to do that. I I just want to clear this this up right, right off the bat. Okay, here's the thing. Your primary area of ministry is in the area of your gifting. Okay, I'm not going to argue that. But your secondary area of ministry is anywhere there's a need. If you see a need and you can meet it, that's what a soldier of the cross does. He steps in and does what needs to be done. And you do what you can do right now. I want to go back to another war story. There was a German uh, bombing raid on an area of British factories and homes at the height of the Battle of Britain. And, and, and in that raid, about one out of every three bombs that the Germans dropped on, on Great Britain failed to explode. So they pulled some of those unexploded bombs out and they carefully dismantled the firing mechanism. And what they found was those bombs that hadn't exploded had been, had been stuffed uh, with, with cotton. And there was no way that those bombs could explode because of the way they had been stuffed with cotton. And inside there, what they found was a note written in Czechoslovakia. They had to find somebody who could translate the, the, the note. And it, as it turned out, what had happened was that there were Czechoslovakian prisoners who had been taken by Hitler's troops back into Germany to work in a music, munitions uh, plant. They, they couldn't stop the whole war. They couldn't fight. They couldn't win. They couldn't do much of anything. But, but, but all that they could do was whenever they got a chance, they could stuff cotton in the firing mechanism of the bombs that they were loading. What did the note in Czechoslovakia say? It said, Dear England, for now, this is all we can do. Listen, I'm here to tell you. What you find, what anything you can do, do it. Step in and do it. Don't say it's inconvenient. Don't say it's too hard. You need to get in there and stuff some cotton and some firing, firing pins. Maybe that's all you can do. Maybe all you can do is come and help hand out a turkey on, uh, for our turkey giveaway. Maybe all you can do is come and, and help clean the toilets uh, 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 every so often at the church when, it need, when, when they need help. Maybe all you can do is, is step in and, and help in the nursery when there's nursery workers needed. Maybe all you can do is something that seems small and insignificant. Maybe there's, you, you feel like there's so much more and I've got this ministry over here. But listen, if you see a need, that needs to be filled, I'm, I'm telling you, it is the, is the work of a good soldier of Jesus Christ to step in and say, I'm going to do this, and if it's not my calling, I'm going to do it until God raises up the right person. And, and let, let me tell you something. It, it may not seem like much. Like, like with these ladies who have taught Sunday school, it may not seem like much to some people that they've taught so many, so many Hundreds of little ones about Jesus. But let me tell you something. It's important to those kids. It's important to many of those parents. And most importantly, it's important to God. Fulfill your ministry. Fulfill your calling. Finally, this. When we fail, our failures have implications beyond ourselves. When we fail to receive the ministry and the call of God as soldiers in this great army, just as our successes have meaning and implications beyond ourselves, our failures have meanings and implications beyond ourselves as well. I heard a a tragic story. It really is a sad story. A a man said that he had been attending the same Rotary Club for 20 years. And at his church, they were having a Sunday school campaign 
And he got inspired. And he's like, man, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. And so he, he got up in his Rotary Club meeting and he said, I'd just like to invite all you guys to Sunday school tomorrow, the men's Bible classes at my church. I'd love to have you guys there. I want you to come check it out. And, and you're, you're, you're all members of the Rotary Club with me. And we're having this Sunday school drive. And I'd like to ask the Rotary Club to come and sit in men's Bible class with me on Sunday morning at my church. Well, he said that. And when he was done, all of a sudden, uh, in that, in that group of men, there's one of the men just broke out laughing, just pounding the table, you know, and just laughing and laughing, tears streaming down his face. He thought this was hilarious. And, and the man finally got flustered. He said, Harry, w- what are you laughing about? And Harry said, well, oh, I- I'm sorry. I thought you were joking. He said, you're serious, aren't you? And he said, yes, Harry, I'm serious. I'm inviting you to Sunday school. And Harry said, well, how would I know you were, you were serious? He said, we've been going to the same Rotary Club together for 20 years and you never mentioned Sunday school or Church of Jesus before. The man said that went through his heart like a knife. I remember when I was in high school, between my junior and senior year in high school, Now I grew up in church, but I... It never became real. It never became personal to me. Because, see, God doesn't have grandkids. You know what I'm saying? You're not a child of God because your parent was a child of God. Every one of us has to come to Him individually. And I remember that summer between my junior and senior year, that's when I had an encounter with God and, and, I, and I took Him seriously and He saved me and, and called me into ministry. It was a powerful, powerful event at a, at a summer camp in southern Missouri. But I remember that year, I went back my senior year and, and I thought, man, I'd, I just need to make a difference. God's calling me. I felt called at the time. I felt called into youth ministry. And I thought, well, you know, I, I know a whole bunch of youth in my high school. So I thought maybe I should minister there. But I didn't know what to do. I was, I was, I was small. I was five foot six, 130 pounds when I graduated. So, you know, I was, grew three, three inches and put on 20 pounds my, my freshman year in college. And, but I was small, I was insignificant, I was nobody. And so I thought, but I'll do whatever, God, I'll do whatever I can do. And I remember one of the things I decided to do, and there's a whole, whole lot of details I'm going to leave out and share the rest of the story another time. But one of the things I decided to do was that I was just, I was going to carry my Bible with me to every class. So I thought that's, that's something I can do. Maybe, maybe it'll strike up some conversations with it, which it did. Many, many times. I had many conversations with fellow students. It was always funny because my Bible was happened to be, it was red, first of all, <laughs> you know, so, so it doesn't blend in. And uh, it happened to be just the size where it was just slightly smaller than all my textbooks. So it always sat right on top. And it was funny because the conversation was the same every single time. Um, because they'd point at my Bible and say, what's that? And I'd, you know, it said right on the front, I'd say, Holly Bible. No, I didn't say that. <laughs> Holy Bible. I said, it's my Bible. I didn't, I didn't, wasn't sarcastic. I was serious. I said, it's my Bible. And then it was always followed up by the second question. Why do you bring it to school? Which is their invitation for me to tell them what God had done in my life that summer before. So anyway, I was doing that my senior year in high school. And there was a friend of mine that saw the Bible, we had, you know, we had a small conversation, but in in that conversation, I had known him for a long, long time. He said, oh yeah, well, I'm a Christian. And I was like, why have you not, I mean, I didn't say this, but inside I'm thinking, why did you not ever tell me? It's the same situation with this man. If I fail to take my calling seriously, it will have consequences on somebody's life. That's, that's, the, that's the thing we forget that, uh, about this thing, you know. I, I, I just, I don't, I know this, I don't want anybody anywhere to know me and not know that I'm about Jesus. That I'm about God, that I'm about the, the, His church, I'm, that I love the Word, that I'm a man of prayer, that I walk in holiness insofar as God gives me grace. I, I can't stand the thought that at the end of 20 years of intimate contact with somebody that they'd say, whoa, I didn't know you were a Christian. You mean you go to church? You mean you go to Sunday school? What a pathetic tragedy that would be. No, 
Listen, friend, God has given us marching orders. He's given us a summons, a call. This is not just about the army marching by and we stand on the street waving our hankies and saying, oh, look at the army, they're so wonderful. Go get them, boys. I don't know why it's a soprano voice. It just seemed more effective that way. Well, let's do it again. Go get them, boys. All right. Now, now I know you're paying attention. No, no, that's not what happens. Then God looks at us and says, no, no, you don't stand on the curb uh, cheering the army on. You march. I've got a job for you. You march. There's something that you need to accomplish. There's something for, for you to carry out. I've got orders for you. Listen, there is somebody that needs to go to Sunday school and they're not going to go unless you invite him. There's somebody that needs to come to church and they're not going to come unless you invite them. There's somebody that needs to hear about Jesus and they're not going to hear unless you tell them. There are people in your life that that is true for and we have to understand that I cannot ignore the call of God. I have to take it seriously because there are serious consequences in the lives of other people if I don't. You know, every time somebody, you know, God does something in somebody's life, maybe we have a service and God moves and people get saved or whatever. I, I, I tell you, it just almost never fails. There, there are people that say, oh, man, I wish my brother was here, had been here. <coughs> I wish my sister was here. I wish my friend was here. I wish my neighbor had heard this. Listen, I, I'm going to say this to you. and I want you to hear this very clearly. Here's part of your mission. Get them here. Get them here. Do what you have to do. Don't come to the end of your life and say to yourself, well, I just kept thinking that somehow or another they'd hear the gospel. Let them hear it from you. Let them see it in you. Bring them, invite them, you know, whatever it takes. Say, tell them you'll take them out for a steak dinner afterwards. And then, you know, buy them a hamburger and say, well, it's ground steak. You know, don't do that. But, but whatever it takes, whatever you have to do, get them in the house of the Lord. Tell them about Jesus. Be the fulfillment of the command that God has put on the soldiers of God. You know, back in the Civil War, just uh, shortly before I was born, I'm not quite that old, but Robert E. Lee marched his troops toward the Battle of Antietam. And he, he worked out a very complicated battle plan, which surely would have won a great victory for his armies, probably would have punctured the resistance of the North. And he he sent a diagram and an outline of the battle plan to one of his generals who read it. Then his general, after he read it, wrapped it in uh, wrapped cigars in the battle plan. He, he wraps he, he wraps cigars in the battle plan of his general, and then he laid them on the floor of his tent. The next morning, when they packed up and folded their tents and began to march forward for the attack on, on Antietam, the cigars, the battle plans, were forgotten and they were left on the ground. Well, a Union soldier without a stripe on his sleeve marching through the next day saw the cigars wrapped in paper and diligently felt that it might give some kind of clue about the Confederate army that had just camped there ahead of him. So he opened it up and when he looked at that, he realized that he was holding in his hands the battle plan of the generals of the armies of the South. So he took them to his commanding officer who took them to his general and the South was repulsed, repulsed at Antietam because a private soldier, just a dog face with a gun over a soldier, was more diligent in the execution of his office than a general who had been commissioned to lead an army. Listen, we are living in an age when generals are falling all around us. We're living in an age where the mighty and the high and the exalted, in the, even I'm talking about the, in the army of God, are, are, are failing. The great ministries, the great big names, the big headliners of the Christian community are, are crashing and burning. You hear all the time about these great people who are supposed to be pinnacles of, of the church and you, and you find out that they're not who they said they were. Well, you know what? The truth is, I've just about had it with the big stars. I've just had it with them. From here on in, you know what I want to do? I want to hang out with soldiers. From here on in, I want to be with people who will do what God says to do, who, who will do what needs to be done, who will march when the marching is tough, who will endure hardship gladly, who will do the work of an evangelist, who will fulfill their calling with a desire for the glory of God. Now, let me close with this. Many years ago, just after the Civil War ended, there was a young man who went to telegraphers' school. 
He wanted to learn how to operate a telegraph. So he went through it, he learned how to do it, and then he went to apply for a job. And the first place that where he went, the, there, there was this large room and there were hundreds of applicants for the job in that room. They were already there. He got there late and they were already there in the room. And they looked at him and they said, hey, you may as well go home, boy. You're, you're too late. You're too late. There are about 350 people ahead of you waiting for that job. You're too late to get this job. But he looked at him and said, well, I'm just going to go ahead and sit and wait for a while anyway. So he went and sat on this little bench on the on the, uh, the side of the room and all the other applicants were in there and they were all, you know, reading the newspaper and they were talking and chatting and just doing the stuff you normally do in a room like that. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this young man got up and he walked through a side door uh, and, then, and then he came back out of that room with a piece of paper and he got the crowd's attention and he said, I got the job, you can all go home. And they began screaming and yelling. They're like, what? what? What are you talking about? You're Johnny come lately? I mean, you walk in here, you take a seat on the side, and you walk through the door and come back and tell us, tell us that, that, that you got the job and then we can go home? What's going on here? And he, he calmed them down. He said, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. And let me tell you what happened. He said, while you were all milling around here and you were talking and reading your newspapers, he said, I heard a message being tapped out. He said, I heard Morse code in the background. And, and they said, well, what did it say? He said, it said this. If you'll come through the door marked exit, the job is yours. And he did. Listen, what I hear is this Morse code being beamed down from heaven. And I can hear it. It's, it's like people are milling around and reading newspapers and playing church. And I hear this sound and it just keeps going. This message coming. And what it seems to say is, first of all, Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. You're going to hear, listen, I believe this is one of the themes that God is saying. He's impressing on the church. Jesus is coming. But I think the other part of the message, he's saying, come on in. The job is yours. Come on in, the job is yours. There's a world waiting. There are lost people to be saved. There are confused, poor, worn out, pitiful, wretched people trying to find some meaning and hope and fulfillment and peace and purpose. And they're trying to find it in everything from, from false religion to sexual perversion and everything in between. They need to know the love of, of an almighty God who holds the future in his hands. The message comes from heaven. Come on in. The job is yours. You then, as a soldier of the light, endure hardship gladly. For you march in the army of the great king. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we come into your presence today, Lord, we know this. this is, there's nothing new. There's nothing, um, there's, there's nothing that's anything like rocket science in this message. It's simple. It's straightforward. We all know these things, but God... I don't know about anybody else, but I know that often I need to be reminded. I need to be reminded that you have put a, put a call on my life, that you've placed me here for a reason, that you saved me for a purpose, that I live where I live for a mission, that, that you've called me to the friends around me for a reason, and, and that you've placed me where I am to make a difference. And God, I, I just pray that as we hear your voice and we hear that, that message being beamed down from heaven saying, Come on in. The job is yours, that we would respond to that. And like good soldiers of the cross, Lord God, that we would take this call seriously, that we won't just say, I hope somebody tells my friend. I hope somebody uh, tells my coworker about Jesus. I hope somebody invites my neighbor to church. I hope somebody does this. But God, that we would look and we would say, God, I'm going to be a good soldier. I'm going to be obedient. I'm going to do what I can do. And maybe all I can do is, 
is take a dinner to somebody and tell them Jesus loves them. Maybe all I can do is invite somebody to Sunday school or invite somebody to church. Maybe all I can do is, is just, uh, is just love somebody and, and tell them, Hey, I'm doing this because Jesus loves you. I don't know what it is that we can do, but, but God, some of us can do more than what we're doing. And I pray God that you would spur us, that you would wake us up when we realize the urgency of the moment, because the reason we need to take this call so seriously is because Jesus is coming. These are the last of the last days. I believe that with my whole heart. And I pray, God, that you would catch a hold of our hearts, that your spirit begin to stir something in us. And we realize that we have the message that makes the world whole. We have the message that heals brokenhearted people. We have the message that sets people free from addiction and sin. We have the truth. We have the one we know, the one who does all these things. And so, God, I pray that you would just speak to us. But more than that, I pray, God, you'd give us courage to respond. And Lord, give us specific direction. Whether it's meeting a need in this church or the meeting a need in another person's life or reaching out to a neighbor or a friend or co-worker. God, I pray that we would each just respond by doing what we can do and leave the rest of it in your hands. And with heads bowed and eyes closed, and there's nobody looking around. I, I listen, I don't know where anybody is. I don't know how, how your relationship with God is. I don't know how things are going because you can fool me pretty easily. But maybe there's somebody here, first of all, would say, Pastor, I want you to pray for me because I can't respond to being part of the army of God because I'm not a child of God. I'm not where I need to be with God. I need to make things right. And if that's you, I'd love to pray with you. And if you'd like that prayer, I'd, I'm not going to embarrass you, but if you'd like to have that prayer, would you slip your hand up right where you are? Or maybe you're on the live stream and you'd say, pray for me. Is there anybody? Maybe there's people here then. You say, Pastor, I know Jesus. But maybe you're like where I am in your life where you're, you're saying, okay, you know what, pastor, I'm ready to double down. I don't want to coast. I don't want to take it easy. I want to do what I can. I want to meet needs around me in the name of Jesus. I want to just do what I can as a soldier of the cross. Listen, you can't change anybody. You can't make them respond to any message. But you can be a, an obedient soldier of the cross and just do what He calls you to do. And if that's you today and you say, Pastor, I want you to pray for me, would you slip your hand up right where you are? All over this room? Yeah, there are hands up all over this place. Lord, you see our hands. And we're here in your presence just simply saying, God, I want my life to matter. I want my life to count. I don't want to waste the days that you've given me. I, want to, I don't want to waste the opportunities to serve that are in front of me. So God, I pray you would help us each. Give us eyes to see and anoint us, Lord God. Help us to be ready for every divine appointment. Help us to be able to recognize those moments. Whether it looks like a divine moment or not, help us to see it, Lord, to realize, hey, this is a chance I can serve in the name of Jesus. This is an opportunity to love in the name of Jesus. This is an opportunity to meet a need in the name of Jesus. And I pray, God, that we would step through those doors and then trust you with everything else. Lord, we know that you're about to return. We know that time is running out, that the day is ending, night is coming when no one can work. And I pray, God, you'd help us to take your call seriously in our lives. And we give you thanks for all of these things. In the strong name of Jesus, amen.